0: Welcome to our podcast here at Encounter Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We pray that as you listen to this message, you will not only be challenged, but changed. Our desire is to be a place where life starts, love happens, and purpose is revealed. If you're in our area, join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. and every first Wednesday at 6.45 p.m. For more information about our church, you can visit us at EncounterChurch.today or follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Periscope. Just search echurchbr. VR. We invite you now to open your hearts to receive what God has for you. Here's today's message. Father, we thank you, God, for the privilege that we have to be in your house today. And it is a privilege, a wonderful privilege. And God, we pray that, God, the word that's going to be spoken over our lives today into our hearts. God, we pray that it would take such great root and it would take such great hold. That, God, you would bless it in every way. Change us, God. We came in one way and we're going to leave another way. We ask for you to bless our lives in Jesus' name. Come on, shout amen in the halves. Come on, high five two people around you and say, come on, it's the blessed life. It's the blessed life. is the blessed life. Amen. We've also got a saints group. Is that really cool? So if you want to watch saints football as a group, we've got a group for that too. And we're kind of calling that the saints slash intercessory prayer group. So you need to go and pray, but that's happening today at 12 o'clock. So that's really exciting. Say with me the blessed life. Come on, say it like you really want that kind of life. Come on, the blessed life. I believe this. Are you ready? I believe the blessed life is the best life. And what do I mean by that? I I want every one of you to be blessed in your life. I want you to be a part of the blessing that God has available for every one of you. We can look and say, well, I don't deserve it. Join the club. None of us do. But God's blessing is available for every one of us. And that's why each and every week we teach you truth. Come on, we're not giving you fluff and stuff here. We're giving you the truth from God's Word because we believe it's His truth that's going to change our life. That produces the blessing in our life. And whether you like what's been taught or not, that's up to you whether you believe it or not is your choice. But I'm telling you, whether you like it, whether you believe it or not, doesn't change God's word. God's not waiting for your validation to say, "Okay, I can say it's the truth. It's already the truth. And the Bible says it's truth that will set you free. So we would be fools to push against the truth of God's word. And many do. Many fight it. They want to resist it. Many don't want to follow it. Come on, many want to try to rewrite it. Many want a fresh revelation of it. For what reason? Because we want it to suit our lives. Well, God doesn't want to suit our lives. He wants to step us up into the blessed life of blessings and benefits that He has. So we'll never win when we're trying to do it on our own way. But when it's God's way, we will always win. And today I want to talk about a heart change. Say with me, a heart change. Because every one of us, when it comes to giving, this is our second week of our giving mini-series, we need a heart change, a heart transplant when it comes to giving. Let me read this scripture, very familiar scripture for you to do. Luke 6, verse 38. And it says, "Given, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down shaken together and running over will it be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That first part again, given it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. One of the most common mistakes that we make when reading this verse is to think that Jesus is speaking in regards to finance. And in regards to money here. That's part of it, but that's not the whole of it. In fact, there's a thought here that we must see more than just money, because Jesus was showing them and actually teaching them a very important principle that needs to be applied into every area of our life, not just with our finances but into every area of our life. Last week, we talked about another important principle, and that was first. God must be first. The tithe is our first fruit given to God, and by faith, that promise redeems the rest. Oh, by the way, who did not receive one of these when you came in? They're not organic, um, what they call a Cheetos. Someone said, like, if you did not receive one of these when you came in, put your hand up. I'm sorry, Sherry, and we'll get you one of these. But what we've got to realize is this verse is a principle that's more than money. And how do we know this? Because if we just back up two verses, we literally see this. Look what it says. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, that you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven and then given it will be given unto you. You see what Jesus was really speaking about here is he's calling people to give forgiveness. He's calling people to give mercy to others. He's calling people to have an understanding. Man, if we ever need anything today, it's an understanding because we can sometimes have such a religious spirit that can just shut people off without even listening to them. And we've got to have an understanding. We've got to have patience. How many know that's something that we need to give to those around? So really, here's the thought. Jesus is defining the principle of giving. Principle of first last week. The principle of giving this week. And here's the principle. Are you ready? Take this down. Whatever you give is going to be given back to you. That's the principle. Plain and simply. Whatever you give is going to come back. Back to you, it's going to be returned back to you. And understand this, it's going to be returned back to you, multiplied. You you don't sow a seed and get a seed because if you do, you're no further ahead. You sow a seed and you get a harvest of seeds and blessings, so you can take one out of that harvest and live off the rest and sow again. Do you see that? So whatever we sow is going to be multiplied, good and Uh uh-oh, watch out. Like the good, Pastor. Don't like the bad. So, so what do we know? Look at this. Your seed will determine your harvest. Your seed will determine your harvest of what God has for your life. And so if I'm sowing forgiveness, I'm going to reap yeah. forgiveness. If I'm sowing mercy, I'm going to reap. If I'm sowing blessing. You see, my seed, what I place in the ground is going to determine the harvest. I don't put an apple seed in the ground to get an orange tree. I can pray all I want. God, make it an orange, make it an orange, make it an orange. It's not going to work. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, it's not going to work. So you can sow miserably all week. Come to church and pray and expect God to bless your misery. Come on now. You're going to reap what you sow. And the Bible says you're not going to just reap it. You're going to reap it, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Those are actually farming terms. I didn't know... If you knew that. In the Bible times when Jesus was sharing that thought, they fully understood what Jesus was speaking about. When Jesus spoke many times, he used parables. They were earthly stories, examples of what people saw around them. For what reason? He used them to make reference or example to spiritual things. So he showed them earthly, practical Things For what reason? There was no excuse. They couldn't say, I don't understand that. The only thing they could choose to do is not obey that. So today there's no opportunity for you to have the excuse of not understanding. It's really the excuse of not obeying. Because what you've got to realize is this. In a particular field, when the harvesters were in there, God instructed the harvesters of the field to leave fruit, to leave fruit, grain in the corners of the field. They weren't to go right into the corners. They were to leave an area in every corner of the field. Why? Because in every field there were two sets of harvesters. There were those who were the primary harvesters. They would be the ones harvesting in the middle of the fields. Then there would be the secondary or the poor people and they would be in the corners. Of the field. That was how God provided for those who did not have much they had in the corner of the field. So the primary harvesters in the middle of the field, what they would do is they would grab their baskets. And it really didn't matter to them how much they had in their basket because they would walk over to a particular cart or a particular wagon and they would dump in what they had harvested and then they would go back and they would just repeat over and over again. They weren't paid by the basket, they were paid by the day. So as long as they're working hard, and sometimes it was easier for them not to fill it too full because then it was too heavy and they would wear themselves out or maybe they would lose some of the crop and they would be in trouble. So that was the primary harvesters in the field. But then there was a difference between them and the poor people. Because with the secondary harvests, they were probably in a field that was miles and miles away from their home and where they lived. They had walked many miles to get there. So to them, it was so important how much food they could get in their basket. Why? Because how much they were able to put into their basket determined how much their family would have to live on. To have food for. So what they would do is they would fill their basket. This is Judah's toy basket. That's why there's toys in it. But they would they would fill their basket and they would put in everything they could. And then what they would do is, they wouldn't be satisfied with that. They would literally press it down. They would press it all down. And then what would they do? They would fill it up again. And then when it was full at the top, they would take it and they would shake it. For what reason? They wanted to move everything around so there was no gap, there was no space, there was nothing. And then they would press it down, they would fill it, they would shake it. Why? Because whatever they took home, They wanted to make sure that they had everything they could possibly grab and possibly have. That's the thought that Jesus is presenting to them that day. So what Jesus was saying is what you give, you're going to have a whole lot more come back to you. Because it's going to be pressed down. It's not a half full basket. It's an overflowing basket basket of blessings that wants to come back into your lives. But here's where we go with wrong with scriptures like this if we don't watch. If we don't have the right heart when we read scriptures like this, we can fall into the temptation of making this the motivation for, for our giving. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm just going to give to get. I'm just going to give to get. <laughs> and many do that. Many keep a record of God. You know what, God? I gave you 10 bucks today. You owe me 100. And you laugh, but maybe that's you. <laughs> look at this. This principle of giving, look at this, is to be our reward, not our motivation. Big difference. It's our reward because what do we know about God? God's a blesser and He wants to give to us. But I don't give just to get because if I do, I am now giving with a wrong heart. There is actually nothing in the Bible. Do you realize this? There's actually nothing in the Bible that says that we should make personal gain our motivation for giving. Nothing. Here's a question for you. Do you ever think that God says this? Boy, if only my people could catch the vision of having lots more stuff. I mean, do you think that's what God's saying in heaven? Wow, I wish they could just grasp that principle. I wish they would want more stuff and and more stuff and more stuff. Let me give you the answer. Here's what I believe the answer is. God doesn't want us to catch the vision of getting. He wants us to catch the vision of giving. Giving. Because that's where the blessing begins. Not when I get, but when I give. And I don't think there's one of us in here that could say right now, if God ever gave us nothing more, that we could look and say, God, you didn't give us more than enough. Because every one of us has been blessed in ways so much more than we could ever deserve in our lives. So the heart or the motivation is key. It's what matters. If I want to have a blessed life, God must have my heart. I need to have a giving heart before God. You see, the main purpose that Jesus really came to this earth for, He came to this earth for man's heart. He came for man. He came to bring back, to redeem that which was lost, what was lost inside of us. Our sin had come in and it had stolen away our heart, our affections, our desires, our love for God. And so Jesus came to this earth for the primary reason to once again restore relationship between us and God. To once again grab the heart of man. Why? Because he realized if I have the heart, then I have the whole being. Your heart is the life supply for your body. Without it, you're not going to live. When the paramedics show up on the scene of an accident, they don't care what shoes you're wearing. They don't care what car you're driving. The first thing they want to know is, how's your heart? Is your heart still operating? How's that going? Because if that's stopped, then everything else is in problems. And our heart not only physically is the source of life, but our heart also spiritually is the source of life. And we see this from Luke chapter 6 and verse 45. And it says, And a good man brings forth good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings forth evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For as the mouth speaks, what the heart is full of. Come on, it's our heart that God is concerned with. Why? Because our heart is the storeroom of either the good or evil. Our words come from our heart. It is the source of our lives and a properly focused heart is more excited about the giving part than the receiving part. Now, here's what I know about God. I already mentioned this, but here's what I know about God. God is a giver. And you can say amen for that. That's good. That's good. That's the good part. So that means that when you give to God, God will bless you. He will reward you by giving you back a much greater measure than what you have given. But notice this, please. The reward comes because you have allowed God to do a work in your heart in the area of giving, not in the area of getting. I'm teaching you today the truth of God's work. The reward comes because he's a blesser. But now the reward comes because my heart is a giving heart, not a receiving heart heart. But remember, when my hand is given towards God, it's in a posture of receiving. It's the same with my heart. When my heart is opened and freely gives, it's in a position where it can receive. I want to read this scripture from Deuteronomy. We're going to read quite a few verses today. So just follow along with me. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7 through 15. And I really believe it paints a picture of the type of heart that God wants us to have when it comes to giving. And it says this, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren, within within any of the gates of your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your hearts. Say with me, "harden." harden. You shall not harden your hearts, nor shall you shut up your hand from your poor brother. But you shall open up your hand wide to him, and willingly, say with me, willingly, Lend him sufficiently for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be any wicked thought in your heart, saying the seventh year of release is at hand. Back in these times, they would have what was called the seventh year or the year of jubilee. During that time, if any land had been sold or if you had been bought as a slave, on that seventh year, you were released. The land that you had lost was given back to you. That's what God established, the year of Jubilee. And your eye be evil against your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cries out to the Lord against you and it now becomes sin amongst you. Verse 10. You shall surely give to him and your heart should not... Be grieved. Say with me, grieved. grieved. Your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open up your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and needy in your land. And if your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you the six years, then in the seventh year, the year of Jubilee, you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally. Say with me, liberally. You shall supply liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor and from your winepress. From what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give to him you shall remember, say with me, remember, that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God has redeemed you. Therefore, God says, I command you this thing today. I know a lot of scripture there, but summed up this way. A clear view of God's heart for helping people, helping others. That we are to take care of each other and... Help each other. But there's more than just that. Because what we see over and over again is not just the need, but what we see is the person who is responsible to give towards that need. So, yes, we see the structure of what God has put in place, but then we also see what God is asking and how God is asking each and every one of us to have a heart and an attitude of giving to Him and to others. God says these words. He says, I don't want your heart to be grieved when you give. All the way back then, God desired a cheerful giver. Come on, we see that in in Corinthians. Christy read it earlier, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop, you must decide in your heart how much to give. The thought isn't really the amount, but the motive. Because you can give generously or you can give stingily. That's what's been said here. And don't be reluctant or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, hilarious giver, someone who gives with joy. And this is not hard for us to understand if we're parents. Here's a question, all our parents in the hands. How many of you are proud of your children when they're selfish? What? Come on, help me out. How many of you are really proud of your kids? Oh, that's my boy. That's my girl. Not sharing with everyone. Proud of them. Come on, you kind of hide. Oh my goodness, did my kid really say that? Did they do that? That's the mother's kid. That's not my kid. Come on now. Come on, we think about that. We're not proud of our children. But we're pleased when they're kind. We're pleased when they're helpful. We're pleased when they give. We're pleased when they share. And so what's true of us is also true f- for God. And so if we're selfish and with- withholding, that's not something God's saying, wow, well, I'm proud of my kid. And we've got to see that. And I want to confront some heart issues today because we're going to look at the wrong heart and then we're going to look at the right heart when it comes to giving. So the first part of the message is going to be the wrong heart. The first wrong heart that we have is the selfish heart. Come on, it's the selfish heart. Deuteronomy 15 verse 9. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the release is at hand. So you're thinking to yourself, well, they're now going to be free anyway, so I'm not going to give them anything. I'm not going to bless them. huh?" That's what it's saying right there. Your eye will be evil against your poor brother and you give him nothing. And then they would cry out to the Lord against you and it would become sin among you. Come on, God clearly labels here a selfish heart as being wicked. A selfish heart. A heart that's not willing to give as being wicked. It's amazing because selfishness speaks to you. Did you know that? A selfish heart will speak to you. It's going to say things like this, we don't have enough. Notice how it puts we in there because it's including itself in your life. Now wants to be a part. It's like it's part of the process because that's what's happening. Because our heart determines how we speak and how we live. It's the storehouse. So our selfish heart wants to speak into our lives. Our heart wants to say something like this. A selfish heart. Well, we've worked hard for this. We, we deserve this. This is ours. This is mine. That's what a selfish heart's wants to say, a selfish heart wants to say, well, you've got to hold on to it because God's not going to be faithful to meet your needs. That's what a selfish heart would say. But if you listen beyond the noise of a selfish heart, you'll also hear that God is speaking too. And God's that great whisper inside of you. Come on, God is saying, don't allow your heart to think that way. Don't allow your heart to mislead you. Don't have a selfish, closed-up heart, because a heart that's unwilling to give is a heart that is unwilling to receive. And you see, God wants to change us from being greedy and selfish. That's our nature many times. we said this before. The first words out of a kid's mouth most time is, no, or mine. Why is that? That's the sin nature inside of every one of us. And we all have to battle with this. There's a constant struggle that we've got to be. But God wants to take a greedy, selfish heart and God wants to make us grateful and generous. Listen to this promise that God gives Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. God says these words, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. That's His word. He says, speak it, live it. "...meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosper... And then you will have good success. Man, I could preach a whole message on this. God doesn't say, then I will make you prosper. Because God says, this is already my promise. You've just got to tap into it. Because when you tap into this promise, then you are going to bring prosperity to your life. Not because you're the provider. God's the provider. But you've now got your bucket under the spigot. You know what I'm saying? And so we can look and say, well, God, you haven't blessed me. Well, God says, you've got to meditate. And you see, many of us read that scripture and we only get half of the blessing, we, we only get the half thought of it, half truth. We think, man, if I just meditate on God's word, if I read God's word, then my life is going to be blessed. No, it says more than that. It says we've got to meditate on it, that we may observe and do what is written in God's word. Listen to me. It's doing the word of God that brings the blessing to your life, not just reading it and then wanting blessing to come. It's taking what God says and putting it to action in your life life that brings the blessing. In fact, James says it this way. Are you ready? Don't just be a hearer. you got to be a doer because you ain't fooling the past and you ain't fooling everyone else around you. The Bible says you're fooling yourself. You are deceiving yourself. You are robbing yourself. You are robbing yourself. And because we're born selfish, remember that? We've got to fight against that because when it's time to give on a Sunday, selfishness will start talking. (laughs) We've got to fight against a selfish heart. Here's the second wrong heart. Are you ready? A grieving heart. A grieving heart. Deuteronomy 5.10 You shall surely give to Him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give because for this thing the Lord your God will Bless you in all your works and in all which you put your hand. God will bless you if your heart's not grieving. Here's the reward again for being a giver, a blessed life. But he also instructs us not to be grieved in our heart. You know they actually call it buyer's grief. Buyer's regret is what we call it. Buyer's remorse is another way to put it. Because what happens, we can go out and we can buy a big purchased item. And we can go out there and we can be so excited. Well, it's the car I want. It's the dream car I want. It's the color I want. It's everything I want. And then the next day, we start thinking about that car, that we've got to pay that note for the next six years. And then we start that our hearts start saying to us, oh my God, what did we do? Did we make the right decision? <gasps> oh no. Come on, we've all been there. We can find ourselves, what, grieving over the thought of what could have been done With the money, maybe, if we had just kept it for ourselves or made another decision. You see, here's what you've got to see. Are you ready? Selfishness attacks you before you give. But grief attacks you after you've given. So the enemy wants to stop you from giving. And then when you have give, he wants you to say, man, you're a fool for giving. For what reason? Because he doesn't want you to give it again. Come on, you've got to fight against a selfish and a grieving heart. So we've got to protect our hearts before and afterwards. You see, here's another problem with giving. Many people give because they feel they have to rather than because they want to. Here's a philosophy for you. Ready? Philosophy. This is what my Phil, Philip, philosophy. Is that cool? It's a philosophy for you. Okay? I give not because I have to. I give because I get to. Come on, I I don't give because, man, you got to pay your tithes and you got to give this. I give because I get to. I love the fact that I get to give to God. It's a privilege to me to get to give to God. I like it when people give me money. I like it when I get birthday gifts. I like it when I get my paycheck. I like it when I get this. I can't wait till we sell our house. Why? Because I get to give a tithe. I'm excited about these things already, anticipating these things. Why? Because I don't look at giving as something I have to do. I look at it as something I get to do. I have the privilege to be able to do it. You see, when people feel pressure to give, afterwards they are going to be grieved for that gift. Because you're going to grieve over that money you no longer have. Here's a question for you. If we are filled with regret after being a blessing, do you think that's pleasing to God? Do you think that's what God wants when He says give and it will be given back to you? Do you think that's what He wants given back to us? Regret? No. Misery? No. Dreaming of what could have been and should have been. I had the money in my hand. No, 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 no. So how do we combat grief? Can I help you today? Here it is. You've got to have a proper perspective regarding your money. You've got to have a proper perspective regarding your money. Hey, by the way, Kelly and I are going on vacation today. Is that cool? We're leaving today. We're leaving for the beach. So if there's any problems this week, sorry. Take care of it. Fix it. You're good. No, there's going to be people here at the office. But you know what would be really nice? It would be really cool. if You, you know, I, I think we deserve it. I think it would be really cool if someone here would just give me $100. Anyone want to give me $100? Anyone? Just just, just a blessed pastor for going, Don, you'll give me 100 bucks. Are you serious? Look at that. Wow. Thanks, Don. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Wow, that's awesome, babes. We can go out and have a nice meal. Maybe a massage with this or something. Thanks, Don. That's really awesome. I really appreciate that. We give to get. Now, some of you are looking at me real crazy right now, going, What has Pastor just done? <laughs> you know why he gave me a hundred bucks? <laughs> Because I gave it to him before church. You you know why he was so quick to jump up and offer it to me? Because it wasn't his in the first place. He wasn't emotionally attached to it. He wasn't tied to it. There wasn't a conflict inside of him saying, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to this money? As soon as pastor said, does anyone have it? He's like, hey, hey, here it is. You know why? Because it wasn't his in the first place. But it's yours now. May I bless you with that? Come on, may I bless you with that? Love you, man. Love you, man. You better leave before second service because if I ask for $100 a year. Remember, only nineties yours. It's all God's. How do I avoid having grief over my money to realize it's all God's? Just like that, it's willingly I give because God, it's all yours. You see, God wants me to be a steward, not an owner. And I know I preached on this last week. But ownership says it's mine. I worked hard. I'm gonna. That's the selfish grieving heart. That's the mentality that we've got to fight through. But stewardship is that which manages what is not yours but manages that which is someone else's. And what you are managing is God's. God has blessed you. So when you get a God perspective on money, we'll understand that God owns it all. And when He owns it all, it's going to be easier to give to Him His portion when He asks for it. Because here's what you've got to understand. Come on, you've got to understand it was never yours in the first place. So, the wrong heart we can have is a selfish heart. The wrong heart we can have is a grieving heart. But here's the right hearts that we can have. Are you ready? God wants us to have a generous heart. Say with me a generous heart. A generous heart. Deuteronomy 15, verse 14. You shall supply him liberally liberally, generously from your flock. You know that word liberal now has been taken by the world to be something left field. You know what I'm talking about? But we're taking that world back because you know what? God wants us to have a liberal heart, a heart that's full and available, a generous heart. You shall give liberally from your flock, from your fleshing floor, from your wine press, from what the Lord has blessed you with. You shall give liberally. God calls us to give generously. From what? From what He has already blessed us with. Come on! You don't want to be stingy. You want to be generous. I don't have this scripture, but I absolutely love it. Proverbs eleven twenty four from the Message Bible says this: "The world of the generous grows larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller." Let me say that one more time: the world of the generous grows larger and larger. Come on! I want some large. I want some blessings. I want God to do some things. Come on! I've got a prayer list of things I want God to do. I'm not just talking about money back. I, I need some miracles in my family. I need some miracles in my life. I need some blessings to come. And God says, if I'll have a generous heart, larger and larger, but if I'm having a reluctant, stingy heart, my world is going to grow smaller and smaller. You see, generosity goes against the default setting of our heart because our heart is naturally selfish. (laughs) Amen. So the key is this, we don't only need a new heart, we need a new mind. We need a new mind. We need the right mindset towards giving. Romans 12 verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world. Do not copy the behaviours. Don't be put in a box like the world wants to do. Come on, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Say we'd be transformed by a renewing mind. Come on, I've got to get rid of my stinking thinking and I've got to get the mind of Christ inside of me. I've got to know his principles that say give and it will get back. But that's not my motivation. That's my reward because now I'm given out of a generous heart because it's all God's in the first place. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. You want to know the will of God. Everyone wants the will of God. The will of God is for you to have the mind of Christ. Because when your mind and your heart line up to what God has in store for you, come on, everything inside of you, everything around you will begin to change. Come on, a renewed mind, the Bible says, brings transformation. You're transformed into a new person by changing the way you think. You see, there's a battle for the old nature and the old man inside of us. The new man. There's a battle inside of us. The old nature wants to figure everything out. Manipulate things in our favor. The old mind wants us to be a taker. The old mind wants us to be selfish. The old mind wants to make a deal with God. Where the new mind, the generous heart that God has placed inside of us, wants us to have a liberal heart. Come on, that's quick to be generous. That knows, hey, it all belongs to God anyway. And that trusts that God will take care of them and bless them. God hasn't just finished with a generous heart. God also wants us to have a grateful heart. Say with me, a grateful heart. Grateful heart. Deuteronomy 15, 15. You shall... Remember, say with me, remember. Remember Remember what? That you were once a slave. That you were once in bondage in the land of Egypt. You weren't saved every day. You're a different person now. And the Lord your God redeemed you. He bought you back. He saw the value of your life. He paid the highest price for your life. He didn't look and say, you're worth 10 cents. He didn't look and say, you're worthless. He said, here's how much you're worth. He hung his hands out on a cross and he gave everything for you. The most he could ever give because that's the value there is in you. Remember what God has redeemed you from. And what God has taken you to, therefore, he says, I command you this day. Why do you think God instructs the Israelites to remember that they had been slaves? Here's why. Because it would fill their heart. It would flood their heart with gratitude for what God had done for them. Look at this statement. It's good to be reminded of our past. We just don't need to live there. It's good to be reminded. It's like driving. Thank God for the rearview mirror. But if you're trying to drive looking in the rearview mirror, you're not going to get very far in a hurry. You're going to crash, you're going to burn, you're going to hit something. Because what? You've got to look out that windshield. You've got to look out, you've got to look ahead. But you know what you can do? You need to have a reference point because while you're driving forward, you've still got to have a reference point. And my part, past is my reference point, it's not my direction point. Amen? And so I'm going. So come on, we can look in the mirror today and we can see, man, I was a mess. I mean, I was screwed up. That's a nice way to put it. That's, that's the church way to put it. I was a mess. Come on, I was in heartache. I was in de- despair. I was in pain. I was in broken. I was in self-destruct mode. Anyone know what I'm talking about? That's just to mention a few things that we are not proud of when we can look in the past. But through salvation... Looking through the windshield, come on, God has now mended my broken heart. God has brought me hope instead of despair. God has healed me. God has fixed me. God has given me a new direction. God has given me another chance. God has given me a blessed life. And that's what I'm looking to. And that's nothing that I deserve. So when I think about what God has given to me. Come on, when I think about it, I don't deserve it. But I throw my hands in the air and I say, Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Come on, give him a praise break in the house today. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Come on. Come on. My heart overflows with gratefulness for what God has done sit down sit down sit down Ben can I tell you something keep standing two weeks ago on a Friday night this man Ben came here for the first time right right down here at the altar He he surrendered his life fully to God. He told me Friday, Pastor, for the first time in my life, I realized I'd never surrendered my life to God. He said, last week I surrendered my life to God. My life has changed. He said, I've seen my kids that I haven't seen for eight months. He said, my ex-wife says there's a change. What's happened? Come on, we're going to give thanks to God for that. Come on. Wow. Goodness. Man, if I had an organ up here, you wouldn't be gone till four o'clock this afternoon. When I think of His goodness and what He's done for me, when I think of His goodness and how He's set me free, I'm going to dance, I'm going to praise, I'm going to shout, I'm going to worship, I'm going to magnify God, yes! Yeah, 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 I'm going to the beach for a week so I can just let it all out today. Is that good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I give to God out of a heart of gratitude because of all that He has given to me. You see, when God works in your heart, we give not to get. And the resulting blessing that we receive is just a byproduct. It's not the goal. Everyone get your peanut out right now. This is a packaged peanut. I I couldn't give you a real peanut because I was worried someone may have allergies and then that wouldn't be good. And plus I knew Miss Connie would kill me because there would be bits of peanut all over the floor. The reason I gave you that peanut is because I want to read you a story called a peanut blessing today. When God does a work in our hearts, we simply give not to get but we give to give. I saw a beautiful example of this on a trip to Costa Rica. I discovered that every Friday at a particular Bible school, they would have what was called Bless Another Day. And it was a day in which students were encouraged to bring something to give to others. I heard a story about a student in the school who had no money and he worked in the fields of a peanut farmer in order to try and pay his tuition. He went to the farmer and said, I'm wondering if you would withhold from my wages. Listen to this. The price of a peanut, so I may be able to take one in order to bless someone on bless another day. Keep in mind this, working in a field, it would have been so easy for him to have filled his pockets and put something in his pocket, but that's not the heart of a giver. I said, that's not the heart of a giver. That's not what God has. You can see the integrity. And the farmer agreed. So every Friday, the student would bring one peanut to school. And he would give it to another student in the class. Not surprisingly, God began to bless this young man who had an unselfish, liberal heart. Before long, he wasn't just giving a peanut on Bless Another Day. He was giving money. By the end of the semester, he was buying pencils, And other school supplies for the poorest of the students. By the end of the school year, God had blessed this young man so much, he was able to pay a year's tuition for another student. And by the time he graduated, he was paying for the tuition of ten other students beside himself. Listen, this is not the end of the story. Within a few years of graduating from Bible college, he now bought the peanut farm where he used to work and was covering the cost of tuition now for scores of students who otherwise would have not been able to afford to go. And it all started because God did a work in his heart. He gave when all he could give was a peanut, was a peanut. The issue is not the amount that we give. God already tells us the amount. The issue is the motive behind we give. I want you to place this somewhere. And I want you to ask this question every time you see it. God, have I given you my peanut? Have I given you the best that I can give? Because God, you've given me more than I deserve. Band, if you can come back, I've got to close this today. I hope today you are hearing and grasping what I'm saying. Again, the tithing is not the amount. He's already told us that. It's a tenth. The issue is not the amount we give. The issue is the motive behind our giving. Look at this statement from Pastor Robert Morris. He said these words. He said, Does God bless givers? Absolutely. Absolutely. But those promises of blessing are giving not to entice us, but to free us from the fear and grief that keeps so many believers from turning loose and giving. You see, if you want a blessed life by God, it requires a new heart when it comes to giving because you're going to get back everything what you give. And God wants us to get back something that's pressed down shaken together. And so it's running over. One more statement and then I'm going to let you go today or pray for you today. When we come to the place where we can simply give because we have an unselfish, liberal heart of gratitude towards God, we will be well on the way to the road of a blessed life let me say that one more time when it comes to the place that we can just simply give to God not to get but I get to give the privilege and when we can do that from an unselfish heart and we can give generously from the gratitude that we have towards God come on we're well on the road to discovering the blessed life that God has for us would you stand all over this place